Welcome to Public Health On Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Our focus is the novel coronavirus. I'm Josh Sharfstein, a faculty member at Johns Hopkins and also a former secretary of Maryland's health department. Our goal with this podcast is to bring evidence and experts to help you understand today's news about the novel coronavirus and what it means for tomorrow. If you have questions, you can email them to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu. That's publichealthquestion at jhu.edu for future podcast episodes. Today, the topic is COVID-19 and homelessness. What are the challenges facing individuals without homes, and how are they and their caregivers responding? I speak to Kevin Lindemood, the CEO, and Dr. Adrian Trussman, the Chief Medical Officer of Healthcare for the Homeless in Baltimore. Then I talked to Barbara DiPietro from the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council. Let's listen. So I'm going to start with you, Kevin. You are the president and CEO of Healthcare for the Homeless here in Baltimore. Just set the scene. How many people does your organization serve, say, in a year? Healthcare for the Homeless uh, serves a wide variety of people in Baltimore City and Baltimore County, about 10,000 different people annually. Uh, prior to COVID-19. So as you start to pick up the news that a respiratory virus um, that has never infected humans before is causing a global pandemic and it's coming to Baltimore, what are you thinking for the work that you do? First, we're thinking that homelessness is already a public health emergency, right? As you well know, people experiencing homelessness are three to four times more likely to die prematurely than their house counterparts. They're already dying of health problems and diabetes, suffering from mental health challenges and and addiction. So it became clear to us that we wanted to do whatever was necessary to keep our doors open, to keep those services available and accessible to vulnerable populations at the same time that we tried to promote the safety of staff and clients and that we realized we needed to find ways to slow the spread to vulnerable populations, people living on the streets, people living in congregate facilities, living their private lives in very public spaces. So on the one hand, you're worried about outbreaks among your patients. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we we know that our patients already experiencing a high rate of acute and chronic illness, and we know they're going to uh, suffer, based on what we're hearing, suffer a a higher rate of illness and, and even death. Are you worried about the spread in the shelters that they may be living in, for example? Absolutely. And I think we're seeing already that whenever you have two, three, four cases in congregate facilities, you can pretty much be sure that you've got a whole lot and you just don't know about it. And so we've found it really necessary to partner with public sector agencies like the Office of Homeless Services, the Baltimore City Health Department, and private providers to do what's necessary to slow the spread, identify, and isolate. And how many staff do you have to help with the 10,000 people you serve? Uh, prior to COVID-19, uh, we had, and we, and we still have, about 250 staff members. The large majority of them now, more than half, are teleworking. We can access quite a few of our clients by telephone, even though a lot of those experiencing homelessness don't have access to phones. We know that some do. Uh, Most of our administrative staff are now completely working from home, but we are maintaining a clinical presence at Fallsway. We've had to close down our community-based sites 
in Baltimore County and West Baltimore. I see. Had to close Falls down. is your main hub for services. And it almost feels like war sometimes. We've retrenched back to 421 Fallsway, our main operation, and are providing services from that location. Great. Um, have you been worried about the safety of your staff and all this? Every single day we worry about our staff. Uh, we worry about our staff who are providing direct services and conducting testing and going out into the field to try to slow the spread in shelters. Uh, we worry about our staff in the broader community. We have staff members living in Baltimore City, one who lost uh, his aunt, his grandmother, and his 30-year-old sister to COVID in one week, another who lost her mother and father in one week. Uh, we know that low-income and vulnerable populations, even sometimes those that we employ, are far more likely to experience the burden of COVID at a higher rate. So you have both the physical safety and the mental health, very serious mental health issues and traumas that people are experiencing as a result of the pandemic. We certainly do. Very very early on, uh, there was a dialogue in our organization about what was an essential service. And we had some people saying, well, if we're not providing medical services, maybe we can keep people at home. And right away, we said, wait a minute, uh, behavioral health emergencies and challenges are every bit as important, probably even more important in a time like this. And we have to make sure that we provide all of those services. You know, Josh, it occurs to me that an illness that entered the United States primarily as an illness among the relatively wealthy and affluent. Right, the people who went on cruises, those, for example. Those yeah. who could go to cruises mm-hmm. now will be borne disproportionately by the poorest and most vulnerable and, and the sickest who can't isolate at home. Well, thank you, Kevin. I want to turn to Dr. Trustman, the Chief Medical Officer for Healthcare for the Homeless. Tell me what it's actually like to provide care right now in your clinics and on the streets? You know, it was already a challenging environment for us to work in, and it's become a lot more challenging as the risks for both staff and clients have really changed significantly and are changing on a daily basis. Our clients, you know, our clients have a lot of competing priorities. I've estimated that our clients, about a third of them, experience a chronic cough or acute cough at any given time. They're dealing with food insecurity. They're dealing with living in a congregate setting. And so their priorities really sort of shift and change very quickly. And COVID sometimes is at the top of the list and sometimes it's really at the bottom of the list for them. And our staff have had to adjust and how to help people really assess their risk and understand what their risk is and and help them prioritize um, what they're going to do. So let me ask you, have you had to set up testing? Have you been able to set up testing for your clients? Yeah, we set up testing. We've been testing for a few weeks now. Our model shifted very quickly from trying to test inside um, to testing outside in our garage. What we realized very quickly is that the risk to the provider goes down pretty significantly by testing in an open air area. Um, So we're testing in our garage. We now have about four sort of testing bays set up, like in parking spots. And our mobile clinic is there to act as our clean clinic space. Um, And providers are uh, working out of the mobile and testing in the garage. I see. And how does it work 
in terms of your interactions with various shelters? Are you advising shelters? Are you supporting shelters? I know Baltimore has set up some different kinds of arrangements for people who are experiencing homelessness. What has been your role in, in those sorts of things? Yeah, so we are working pretty closely with the shelters. The uh, Mayor's Office of Homeless Services reached out to us very early on about providing medical triage by phone for many of the shelters in Baltimore. So we get a call from shelter staff if they identify symptoms that are concerning our nurses or providers are on the phone um, with the client, assessing whether we think this could be COVID-related. And if we do, the city helps with transport from the shelter to us for testing and into isolation. How sick have your patients become from COVID? Is it Have you had major outbreaks so far? We are really seeing all levels of illness from COVID. We see people with mild chills and fever or a mild cough, all the way to a patient who we saw who identified sort of mild shortness of breath over the phone. And when he was brought in by city transport, his oxygen saturation was in the 60s. Our provider actually didn't believe it. He thought it was because it was cold outside. And when the ambulance came for him, he was sitting in the 60s and, and was ultimately intubated in the ICU the same evening. Wow. And, and how do you think people who have many different challenges, as, as Kevin was saying, you know, we're maybe in a health crisis even before the pandemic, how does this affect, you know, their approach to, to health? Is it sort of just another thing to add to the list? Is there a special kind of fear that's there, you know? How do those conversations go? You know, I've seen patients sort of go from really thinking, perceiving it to be no risk, and then because they have so many other risks, and then it sort of suddenly becomes an overwhelming risk for them. So I had a chronic disease phone visit with a patient the other day who has many medical problems, and she kind of said, you know, it's not here, it's not a problem. And then I got a call back from her a few hours later. She was in tears. Her husband had just come home after um, having a mild cough and had a diagnosis. And she was profoundly overwhelmed with what that meant to her and her family. Um, And we talked, I sort of was on speakerphone with a pair of them talking through what that was going to mean for them for the next couple of weeks and how to keep her safe because of the level of her chronic disease. Wow. One last question for you. I mean, that that speaks to how difficult it is for her and her husband, but also how hard this is for for you and other staff. How do you think the staff at Healthcare for Homeless are bearing up under these, you know, new conditions? You know, I continually amazed by our staff. They really see it as their mission to continue caring for our clients, um, no matter what's going on in the external environment. So people are working unusual hours, they're doing different tasks, they're learning how to do their jobs by phone one day, in person the next, and in a full Tyvek suit the next day. I think it's pretty exhausting for everyone, but there's a real sense of camaraderie and sort of a tightening around our mission to care for these clients. Great. Well, please express our appreciation for everything that they're they're doing every day. I want to turn from you, Adrian, to Barbara DiPietro, who is the 
Senior Policy Director at the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council. And Barbara, give us a bit of a national perspective. We've been talking about Baltimore so far. Is Baltimore unusual? Are these challenges being faced around the country? These are challenges that are being faced around the country in every community. Baltimore, I think, is doing all of the right things in identifying people who uh, need care, setting up isolation and quarantine spaces, and figuring out just the plan for how this will work. And I think every community is in a different space there. But in the last few weeks, we have seen tremendous mobilization across the country to stand up motels and hotels and other non-congregate spaces so that we can be protecting a vulnerable population from a further likelihood of infection. Uh, We're also working as quickly as we can across the country to socially distance our shelters, which is very hard to do. And most communities went into the COVID uh, pandemic not having nearly enough housing resources for its people. So right now we're seeing just all of the issues that we had previously just become exacerbated under a pandemic. Um, These shortcomings in our healthcare system and in our housing system in particular are being illustrated everywhere. And so I think as we are working at a feverish pace to respond and care for very vulnerable populations, I think this is forcing a lot of hard conversations in many communities about what do we do now and what do we do a year from now? So when there wasn't testing, everyone said, we need testing. We need testing to be able to control the disease. You could argue that we need housing. We need to put people in, in housing to control the disease. You I haven't, absolutely agree. Yeah, I, I, I would guess that you might agree with that. But you haven't heard quite the same clamor for housing as we've heard for testing. Would you agree with that, too? I, I would agree. Now, certainly from um, national advocates have been pushing very hard uh, for a significant investment from Congress to come for housing um, resources for people. Uh, we have to understand that standing up shelters, that is not a permanent solution and it doesn't end homelessness. And the funding that we are investing right now to respond to this pandemic, we could be using in permanent solution types of ways. And so I think that's where I'd like to challenge our communities is to think in a longer term way and how we're standing up to solutions that are needed right now. Are there proposals being put forward in Congress? Is this edging its way onto the national agenda? What would you say how that conversation is going? It's edging its way. Unfortunately, we haven't seen the attention in Congress on permanent solutions like housing. Uh, We've seen three stimulus bills be passed so far, and uh, another one is, is on the works right now. We've seen some emergency funding coming for homeless services. We've seen emergency funding coming. But all of this tends to be very short-term stopgap measures. And I think we really need to be thinking about more permanent solutions because this is an opportunity for us to be putting in place the systems we should have had before. And if we do that, we reduce the risk of COVID-19 outbreaks for everyone. Not only do we reduce the risks for COVID-19, but we reduce the risks for all manner of negative health outcomes. And I think this is the short-term sightedness that typically drives our political and our funding decisions. How can we look at this as a broader healthcare intervention, I think would be more um, substantive. Great. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. I really want to thank all of you, Kevin, Adrian, Barbara, for, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for listening to Public Health on Call, a new podcast from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Please send questions to be covered in future podcasts to publichealthquestion at jhu.edu.
This podcast is produced by Josh Sharfstein, Lindsay Smith-Rogers, and Lamare Morales. Audio production by Niall Owen McCusker and Spencer Greer. With support from Chip Hickey. Distribution by Nick Moran. Thank you for listening.